Welcome to Gain Meets, the new podcast from Gain, a UK charity on a mission to empower and educate the next generation of investment professionals. Join us as we explore the exciting world of investment management and introduce you to key investment concepts, no previous knowledge needed. So whether you're a student looking to pursue a career in finance or a young professional looking to expand your knowledge, Gain Meets is a fantastic way to learn about investment concepts and sharpen your industry knowledge. Perfect for exploring your options or to give you an added edge when it comes to interviews. So tune in and get ready to gain a new perspective on investment management careers. Welcome to today's episode of The Game Podcast, where we interview investors from all different backgrounds and all fields of investing with the aim of inspiring and educating you about the wonderfully interesting world of investing. Um, Today's guest on the podcast is Rebecca Lewis, um, and I wanted to uh, give you brief intro to, to her before we actually kick off the, the conversation. So Rebecca is a partner at Arizag, um, an emerging markets investment manager firm with offices in London. Rebecca works most of the time, although not all of the time. They also have a head office in Singapore uh, and an office in Mumbai. Um, Rebecca has spent 14 years in uh, investing specifically in emerging markets, so super experienced. Um, she also used to be Arizag's former head of ESG research. Uh, research. So she has extensive experience on how to integrate environmental, social and governance factors into investment and ownership practices, which I'm sure is something that we'll have the chance to dive deeper on. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. You've been a longtime supporter of GAIN. Nice to be here. And we're here to talk about and learn kind of the basics of emerging markets. Uh, but before we get into that, could you just give us a kind of whistle top tour of your career yeah. uh, today and how you landed in your current role? God, how long have you got? <laughs> um, so I think, um, I think maybe that just kind of a dispel a myth about investing. I think, you know, a lot of people kind of you know think you kind of born an investor you kind of come out of the womb and you want to be an investor I'm certainly someone who kind of got to investing kind of later in my career I think this is you know partly more organizations that gain around at the time and so for me kind of coming out of university kind of the different jobs uh, that were available uh, and my interests you know, and, and certainly in terms of representation of women, it certainly it wasn't necessarily a, a job that kind of jumped out to me when I came out of university in, in 1999. And um, I think, you know, in terms of my career trajectory, um, I think the first 10 years was really trying to spanning this idea of, you know, wanting to have an interesting job, wanting to have a job where you were kind of talking to people, communication, interaction, all those type of things. Uh, and also uh, the harder side of things, you know, kind of always like maths and science and the kind of those type of uh, investigative and analytic uh, subjects at, at school and, and university. And also kind of just really interested in, in the world. Um, so I, I kind of fell out of university a, a bit, um, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. So I was on a graduate program at a bank in, in London for, for four years. Uh, and, you know, kind of looking up and looking out and thinking, you know, what I wanted to do, um, didn't feel that was particularly good fit. Um, so I kind of swung in completely the other direction. Um, I went back to university and I trained to be a teacher. And so then for the next kind of five or six years, I, I moved out to Asia and was, yeah, I was teaching oh, in wow. education development uh, in emerging Asia. Um, so yeah, very different on the face of it um, experiences. Um, and then, you know, for me, kind of bringing that all together, I went to INSEAD to do an MBA. 
And it was trying to bind those two things together. I was really interested in development and emerging markets and how businesses should and can play a really important role in development. Uh, And also the idea that capital has a huge amount of power to change the world in a positive way, obviously a negative way as well. So I did big focus of my MBA was kind of learning some more of the hard skills uh, around investing, but thinking about how I can uh, kind of channel those as a, yeah, as a force for, for good in terms of long-term investing in emerging markets. Um, and then as with all good careers, I think a little bit of luck uh, along the way, I was, um, I graduated from NCI in 2008. And so not an amazing time to be looking for jobs with the global financial oh, wow. crisis. <laughs> um, and I was out in, in Singapore. And um, so I was, I was working for independent research house focused on, yeah, this ESG topic you mentioned, this idea that environment, social and governance issues can really be important to the delivery of financial returns over time. Um, but doing that for an independent boutique and presented to RSA, which is an investment firm, as you mentioned, we invest in emerging markets. I presented to the founders of the firm uh, and they were already on that journey in terms of in, you know, ESG integration, the governance focus. And they, they fortunately asked me to, to join the team. And I suppose 13 years later, the, the rest is history. Um, I'm one of two uh, co-CEOs of the firm today um, of a team of 35 people. And we managed a little under $3 billion for institutional clients. That's very, very impressive. And I love the the various different turns that you took. Very much illustrate that there's no no such thing as as the perfect path into investing. Right? No, totally. Um, totally. You mentioned kind of your your initial uh, your initial few years in, in banking, which obviously is, is somewhat adjacent to, to investing. But can you kind of debunk a little bit what your kind of prior conceptions were about the, the investment industry and some of the initial impressions uh, that you got when you first started out and how those might have differed? Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I think you certainly, it, you know, my time at Arisag specifically, um, you know, if you asked me when I kind of when I was 18, 19 years old about kind of, you know, could you considered a career in investment? I'd have said, you know, no, like it, it's numbers, it's spreadsheets, it's, you know, it's too much desk base. You know, I was quite an active person, you know, very sporty kind of out there. So as I said, like in terms of the the skill sets that I thought I would need to be successful in there, there's just a great, just much greater range of skill sets. And um, so when I think about the job, um, the analysts yeah. at Arase are doing today and the job that I was doing for so many years, it's so much more inquiry based. You know, it's so much driven by being interested about people, mm. about the world. Um, and about how things, you know, are going to play out. So I think for me, you know, obviously there's, there's an, you know, hard skills underpin that in terms of preparing for those meetings. But, you know, when I travel to India or China, you know, other, you know, parts of Africa, like it's, that's the basis of the conversation, like understanding the numbers, but the execution and the interaction with management teams is uh, that for me is is the bit I didn't really know about when I was 18, 19. And it's, it's, it's more about, as I say, like inquiry based, being interested about the world and, um, you know, people. For sure. So how did you kind of go about learn those uh, various skills? Because these types of judgment based skills, they're not necessarily what, what you learn in investing. Can you talk a little bit about how your current organization supports uh, younger professionals and and honing those skills over time. Yeah, no, I think um, for us, you know, it's about having good line managers and good mentors and actually uh, above all, like good corporate culture. Uh, Internally at RSA, we have what we, you know, talk about an approach to investing, which is about purposeful growth. 
It's about businesses with purpose being able to bring stakeholders with them on this growth journey. So when we buy businesses in our portfolios, our ambition is to own forever, uh, own them forever. And, and the reason we, ca- you know, we do own businesses 10, 15, 20 years is, you know, it's, it's you know, growth and margins and all those kind of technical side, but it's actually the corporate culture that sustains that. And I think the same is true, um, for, you know, from an investment firm's perspective, um, you know, having a really strong culture of learning and self-improvement and then obviously supporting people with with training and development so you develop good managers um i think has you know have been really an important um and on a personal perspective you know having you know mentors in the industry for a better want of a better term or having people that you can reach out to um is really really important we were very fortunate at rsa we had three founders in the firm and traveled with them extensively in emerging markets you are kind of learning on the job and taking time to, to learn on the job to see you know what good meeting what a good meeting looks like what building a good relationship actually looks like um i think that's you know hugely hugely important very much agree with that and i can i can also um sympathize with with all of that kind of extra time that you spend with your your more senior colleagues during travel growing uh, growing up within an organization is also just hugely valuable uh, in terms of building personal personal relationships very interesting. All right. Um, I want to get a bit deeper into emerging markets specifically and emerging markets investing. Maybe first, can you just give us kind of the dictionary and the, uh, definition of what emerging markets actually mean for those that might not be too familiar with the exact term? And also, I know uh, hearing your background that you obviously spent some time in Asia specifically, but what was it really about emerging markets that caught your interest? You have to stop me here. I'm going to get, <laughs> get very enthusiastic. But yeah, I mean, emerging markets as a, as a concept that the name describes, it's, you know, you know, emerging and growing. So I think from a growth perspective, GDP and the definition side, the GDP growth perspective, but also kind of, of an emerging institutional strengths and all the tenets of, of countries in terms of, um, you know, growth and development. And that's what, you know, for me, the, the you know, the reason why they're such exciting places to invest. It's also home to 85% of the world's population. Know, six billion people yeah, um, so I think it's that yes yeah, it's, it's just amazing like the yeah it's just hard to get your head around the numbers actually I was reading an article yesterday about as a human species we really struggle like with big numbers like billions uh, and I think that's true when we're looking at businesses uh, that grow over the yeah. long term right um, so I think you know and just to give, give you a sense of like what that is like on the ground um, I suppose kind of we you know I went to India in in February this year to meet the team, meet with a couple of our holdings. A big part of what we do is not just meeting management teams, but meeting consumers, you know, people, you know, housewives in their front room talking about what they're buying, what they like, what they dislike, their hopes and dreams, the impacts of COVID to really kind of ground a lot of the desk-based work that our analyst team team do. And I think that's where the bits of, you know, perhaps emerging market investing that I think is the most exciting and is at least well covered, like this aspirational desire for a better life of this large number of people, kind of um, of 85% of the world's population, is something that I think is just so, so compelling. So I was sat, you know, opposite a, um, a housewife in India, you know, a lot of women in India still don't work. And so when we talk to her about, you know, kind of her hopes and dreams, it's all about education for her daughter. And this is mm. like a place where, you know, you look back you know, 20 or 30 years in education for women in India. It wasn't a, it wasn't a given. 
Um, but now, you know, talking to families in India um, about this, talking to mothers in India, it's everything is, you know, if you had an extra thousand, you know, if you, if you won the lottery next year, what would you do? Like question, what would uh, your average Brit or American say? Average Indian person say, spend it on education, tuition, better schooling. Yeah. For the opportunities that a lot of these women didn't have. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at Vietnam or Indonesia or Brazil, if you look, no, not just at women or men, but like the aspirational desire for a better life, I think it certainly, yeah, gets me out of bed in the morning. I think it's really, really exciting. But they're very unpredictable places. Um, there are places where institutional strength, you know, isn't as strong. There are, you know, currency effects that, you know, can take their toll, you know, the way that um, fiscal budgets are managed. It can, it can be an upgrade. It's not necessarily a bottom left hand to top right hand story in terms of, of, of growth. It can be a little bit of a bumpy ride. Um, and so, you know, for us as investors, we're not macro investors. So we don't say, oh, we want to buy India now because it's going to have a great three years. You know, we're looking for businesses um, that grow in these huge markets because they're very predictable. So the unpredictability of emerging markets, obviously investors can play that in different ways. But Arasag is a firm. Arasag means safe place in Scottish, uh, Scottish Gaelic. Oh, so I didn't know that. Beautiful. Yeah, so our approach, our approach to investing is to try and be that safe place for clients. And the way we do that is, is by, you know, finding, you know, having these conversations, meeting management teams and, and you know, buying businesses that, you know, hopefully grow rain or shine that they sell their you know their grocery retailers or you know shampoo businesses or um um inter, you know internet platforms or all these different businesses they're the types of businesses that a lot of emerging market consumers like reach for without thinking about it um so they kind of can't yeah can't live without them i love that and i love how you can be part of you know really impacting a business for for the very long term that has it huge impact on a, on a lot of different people. Um, and I wanted to touch on something related, which I read about on, on your website, that one of your guiding principles was, was purposeful growth. Um, mm. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to you um, and your firm and why it's so crucial to your investment process? Yeah, and I think it's so important to highlight that the genesis of that, you know, you know, as I say, like a lot of, you know, our firm, we, you know, over the last you know, 26 years and certainly even before my time as in terms of the founders that like we wanted to do things, the you know, make returns the right way, like the right type of growth we're looking for. Um, but I think purposeful mm -hmm. growth um, for us as, as a partnership team is a really nice way of framing it. And it really does just link to a bit of enlightened self-interest. If we're if we're trying to buy a business in India and hold it, you know, for 10 years, for 15 years, it's, you know, we're trying to think about trying to find businesses that can grow forever uh, as a concept and so those types of businesses they don't see um, sustainability as as an add-on you know they don't see if thinking about climate change or thinking about how they treat their people as a kind of an add-on and we'll report on that because the industry is asking for it they see that as yeah something that will underpin this long-term growth um, something that will allow them to bring all stakeholders uh, with them and you know, consequently make good returns for for investors, including ourselves. So, again, it's about that alignment of interest. We're looking for businesses that can grow with purpose. We hope we're a business that uh, grows with uh, purpose. And I suppose that, you know, just to highlight the secret source for Arasega over the last 26 years has been our clients, a lot of institutional clients. You know, they want to build libraries in 26 years. They 
looking for pensions, they have family offices, they're looking to, um, you know, to, to grow into generational wealth. These are really purposeful businesses in their own right. So our job as a firm is very much just to really acknowledge that and strengthen that chain of alignment between clients, ourselves and these, you know, brilliant entrepreneurs in, in emerging markets who are trying to, you know, think intergenerationally themselves and grow for the very long term. Mm. I love that you brought up kind of the whole ecosystem of investing, including your own investors, because it's it's a very long value chain. Can you elaborate a little bit on, on you know, what an investor in Arizag might see um, uh, in terms of from a pure kind of asset allocation perspective? What is it that you, you get by investing in emerging markets? How does that differ from as, other asset classes, maybe in terms of, you know, both risk return um, the type of characteristics that you have to be uh, be mindful of, et cetera, et cetera. Good question. I think it's an interesting time to ask that question because emerging markets haven't been a great place to be for the last um, decade in terms of if you look at like an index as a representative public mm. equity uh, exposure to emerging markets, kind of if you, you'd have kind of done better investing in the S&P in, in the US. And I think this is, you know, post-2008, I think emerging markets, you know, sometimes global factors, but sometimes they haven't helped themselves. You're investing essentially in emerging markets for growth. So there should be, you know, in the, you know, in this bottom of the pyramid type places, there should be a higher growth uh, growth quotient. Uh, and actually yeah. that hasn't played through over the last decade, you know, for, you know, again, sometimes self-imposed reasons, countries have, have undermined their own progress. Uh, and other times, you know, investor sentiment, you know, places like China have really kind of fallen out of fashion because of all the, the geopolitics of, uh, of this. So I think in terms of the characteristics of this, in terms of your question, like what, what investors are there for, I think they're there for growth mm. um, and that very long-term growth. I mean, ultimately, you know, this is a huge part of the growing emerging middle class. Uh, you know, a billion people in emerging markets are going to enter the workforce um, over the next kind of 20, 30 years. So that is, you know, this is where growth is going to be in, a, in developed markets, you know, already established. Um, we are kind of in terms of that, you know, GDP growth and, you know, underlying growth. We are, you know, a little, a little bit more challenged in that regard. It doesn't mean there's not way to make investment returns in both places. But ultimately, if you're in emerging markets, I think you're there for that long term growth trajectory of, you know, 85 percent of the world's population. Um, hopefully getting wealthier, you know, having better quality of life and, you know, being masters of their own destiny. For sure. And just to dive a bit deeper on that, you mentioned you've mentioned some countries and bypassing. What what are the main countries that you you focus on at the moment? India and China. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of your, you know, your big pillars of emerging markets from a from a, you know, this scale perspective. India just over, you know, took China as the as the biggest you know population in the world, obviously the largest uh, democracy. Um, but also in Southeast Asia, 600 million people there in Indonesia, Vietnam and the Philippines, we think is a really exciting place to focus again from that scale perspective. Uh, and then Brazil uh, in Latin America. Uh, we have a, a couple of pan uh, uh, Latam um, holdings in our portfolios, um, but that tends to be um, a market um, where you, know, you can kind of buy a business um, in Argentina, let's say, and it kind of it isn't necessarily an Argentinian business. It's actually a pan Latam business, a little bit similar in a way to Southeast Asia. We've got a couple of businesses there. You know, they're not just uh, a big business in, in Indonesia, but they also kind of access Thailand, Vietnam and, and other markets, even though they're quite different markets 
um, just the nature of some of those large scalable businesses we, we look for there. And then obviously there's, you know, a number of, of other countries in, in North and different parts, you know, North Africa and, and different parts of parts of the world as well. Um, in there, generally, because we're public equity investors, so we invested in the listed stock exchange. It's a much more shallow market for us. Yeah. Um, kind of in your kind of venture or, or private equity space. I know there's a huge amount of activity there, as there is in, you know, India and China, obviously. And I think that's an, I suppose, an interesting um, development in emerging markets um, is, you know, the, the, you know, the amount of capital that is invested in the private space as well as the public space. For sure. That's a, that's an important differentiation. And just when you throw all these countries out there, it's obviously an incredibly diverse set of countries in terms of, you know, political regime, socioeconomic conditions, um, and, and all of these things. How, you know, on a day-to-day basis, do you manage to keep up with, with all development? Yeah, I mean, hire people smarter than me, basically, <laughs> and be in the market as much as we can. So our team are very much kind of you know, local, local, local talent. So yeah, our team are essentially, you know, you know, people from the PRC, from the People's Republic of China, based out of Singapore. We have, you know, Indians in India. We have Brazilians out of our London base looking into LATAM and, and traveling there. So as much as possible, um, grounding our research in people who know the markets in which we invest is, is hugely important for us. I want to switch gears a little bit, uh, just because you've been in, in the investment space and in the margin market specifically for such a long time. It would be interesting to hear what's changed um, within kind of your niche of investing during the past decade. Obviously, um, at the moment, there's a lot of talks about rising rates, geopolitical tension um, worldwide, a looming recession potentially. Um, how do you think about all of these different aspects and the impact of, of emerging markets investing and how do you prepare for, for times like this? I think for us, we try and think about macro matters, but we try and think about it as, as little as possible. For us, it's, it's about finding businesses that can grow kind of despite all of those factors, not because of those factors. So in terms of kind of, I suppose, like positioning the portfolio at the moment, we don't make kind of big decisions based on it at the moment. India's getting a lot of um, press, positive press in a way, you know, it's, 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 I mentioned earlier in terms of the S, you know, the, the S&P, the developed market, big developed market, US index, having done double digits for the last decade. India is one of those markets from an investment return, from a benchmark perspective that has kept up. So it's kind of, um, I suppose, covered itself in, in glory uh, a little bit and, and very much seen as a very attractive, scalable investment destination because of the geopolitics and the US-China friction um, that, you know, I don't think we can anticipate that really reducing over time. Um, you know, a rising China, I think, is something that the world is is going to have to face. So I think for us, you know, it doesn't necessarily um, affect our investment approach, um, but certainly the way allocators think about emerging markets. Like when I started investing 13 years ago, there was just a more of a sense of emerging markets as an asset class. I think over the last decade or so, I mean, the sophistication of offerings available, the depth of market, uh, both in the public and private space, there's more to choose from. And I think investors are becoming more and more discerning about what type of emerging market exposure they want. So obviously, country specific uh, strategies, you know, when Arisig started 26 years ago, there was probably I don't know, five businesses like like ours, like owner managed boutiques based in Singapore, looking at emerging Asia. Now, you know, if you went to Singapore and asked for a meeting, you could probably have 
you know, 30, 40, business, you know, meetings with managers trying to do the same thing, but they might be Southeast Asia focused and India focused and China focused, you know, very, you know, the sophistications of the offering has, has changed hugely, which to the benefit of the end, hopefully the end asset owner, that they can piece it all together uh, and, and select the bits of it that they, you know, think makes sense for them in terms of their asset allocation strategy. Um, so, yes, yeah, probably the point there is that, yeah, the, you know, the world's changed, right, um, over the last decade or so. And I think this level of sophistication of the way emerging markets can be offered to institutional investors has is, is, is grown dramatically. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Before we kind of round up, I wanted to end with a little section on, on career advice, which is something that we, we often do. Um, and the world of investing into emerging markets sounds incredibly interesting. So what would you say would be the best place to, to start for someone that's uh, keen to learn more and potentially start um, on a path into the industry? Knowing yourself and being yourself is just like being your authentic self is really important part. You know, but I, you know, I say that I have a wife and two kids. Like I think it's really important to kind of, you know, make sure that you're joining organizations where you can truly be be yourself um ultimately you kind of i love working with my colleagues so that's kind of like those softer connections uh we mentioned earlier about the kind of the learning and growth that comes from those interactions so um when you're thinking about a career like obviously the first thing you're doing is trying to join organizations but at the end of the day you're joining groups of people so you know when you're looking at you know even if it's you know, big financial firms that you want to join kind of speaking to as many people as possible and what it's like to work there. and it's actually not what they tell you but how you interact with them which will hopefully give you a sense whether this is this is going to to, to be a good fit mm, incredible brilliant love chatting with you Rebecca and I'm sure our listeners have too thank you so much for taking the time thanks so much thanks for listening if you've enjoyed this podcast, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you're listening now. And if you'd like to find out more about our work and how we can help you, visit gameuk.org. We'll see you soon.